This afternoon we turn once again to the Gospel of Luke, which we commenced in this Gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ last Lord's Day. We just, in our parallel reading, quoted that famous prophecy in Isaiah 7, 14. Virgin shall conceive and bear a son and shall call his name Emmanuel. Well, we're going to consider the conception of Emmanuel this afternoon and the birth of the Lord Jesus Christ very soon. I'd like us to to consider the virgin conception of the Lord Jesus Christ today, beginning with verse 26 of Luke's Gospel. You remember Gabriel appeared to Zacharias in the temple in Jerusalem, and uh, angels can move very, very quickly, can't they? So now Gabriel moves north into Nazareth, Nazareth to communicate with Mary. It says in the sixth month, that is the sixth month of the pregnancy of Elizabeth, John the Baptist is in her womb, the angel Gabriel was sent from God unto a city of Galilee named Nazareth. Believe me, angels didn't need GPS. To a virgin espoused to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David, and the virgin's name was Mary. And the angel came in unto her and said, Hail thou that art highly favored. The Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou among women. When she saw him, she was troubled at his saying and cast in her mind, what manner of salutation this should be. And the angel said unto her, Fear not, Mary, for thou hast found favor with God. And behold, thou shalt conceive in thy womb and bring forth a son, and shall call his name Jesus. So it wasn't Joseph that was told to call baby Jesus first, it was Mary. He shall be great and shall be called the son of the highest. And the Lord God shall give unto him the throne of his father David. And he shall reign over the house of Jacob forever. And of his kingdom there shall be no end. Then said Mary unto the angel, How shall this be, seeing I know not a man? And the angel answered and said unto her, The Holy Ghost shall come upon thee, and the power of the highest, shall overshadow thee. Therefore also that holy thing, or that holy one, which shall be born of thee, shall be called the Son of God. And behold, thy cousin, the idea is relative, Elizabeth, she hath also conceived a son in her old age. And this is the sixth month with her, who was called barren. For with God nothing shall be impossible. And Mary said, Behold the handmaid of the Lord, be it unto me according to thy word. And the angel departed from her. 
Mary arose in those days and went into the hill country with haste into a city of Judah and entered into the house of Zacharias and saluted Elizabeth. It came to pass that when Elizabeth heard the salutation of Mary, the babe leaped in her womb and Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Ghost. And she spake out with a loud voice and said, Blessed art thou among women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb. And whence is this to me, that the mother of my Lord should come to me? For lo, as soon as the voice of thy salutation sounded in mine ears, the babe leaped in my womb for joy. And blessed is she that believed, for there shall be a performance of those things which were told her from the Lord. The virgin conception of the Lord Jesus Christ. Jesus is the one that had an immaculate conception, not Mary. He had a virgin conception and an immaculate conception. He was conceived of a virgin. He was sinlessly conceived, not because of Mary, but because of the Holy Spirit. This is a prophecy of, the, of Gabriel to Mary about the conception of Jesus. It didn't take very long to be fulfilled. What are prophecies? Prophecies are foretellings of the future, and they also are foretellings. They are gospel truths. Some prophecies take thousands of years to fulfill, like Genesis 3.15, it's, it's been a couple thousand years. It's been about 4,000 years since uh, the Lord said that the seed of the woman would crush the seed of the serpent. And now the seed of the woman is prophesied to be conceived very shortly. But it's been thousands of years since that first prophecy of Jesus Christ. Isaiah 7.14 was about 700 years previous to this. Jude tells us that Enoch, who's mentioned back in Genesis 6, prophesied of the second coming of Jesus, which hasn't been fulfilled yet. And so it will be thousands of years, at least 6,000, before Jesus returns. And so that prophecy is yet to be fulfilled. But when it is, it will have been over 6,000 years. Paul prophesied about the Antichrist, the man of sin, 2 Thessalonians. That hasn't happened yet. So it's been at least 2,000 years since Paul prophesied that. Job prophesied that he would be resurrected from the dead and see the Lord while he was on the earth. And again, that's been six or about 4,000 years ago. Some prophecies take hundreds of years. The slavery in Egypt was prophesied to Abraham. The Exodus was prophesied to Abraham. Daniel 9, there's a prophecy. And by the way, Gabriel also speaks to Daniel. So what a privilege Mary had. Gabriel was sent to Daniel to prophesy about Messiah the Prince when he would be cut off. 
And it's been, again, hundreds of years since that prophecy. And it's still three years, or 33 years from this time. Some prophecies take dozens of years. The birth of Isaac. Joseph's rise to being in the leadership in Egypt. The fall of Jerusalem by Jesus was predicted about A.D. 30. And it didn't take place until 40 years later. Some prophecies take a few years. Genesis 41, Joseph predicts that there will be seven years of plenty and seven years of famine. Some prophecies take days, like Jacob's, or I'm sorry, Joseph prophesies to his fellow prisoners that one of them in three days will be lifted up and restored to his position, and one will be lifted up and his head will be taken off. Some prophecies take hours to be fulfilled. Jesus predicted just a few hours before that Peter would deny him. Three times. Judas' betrayal. And other prophecies like the trampling of the man at the gate who said that if God would open the windows of heaven, the city would not be able to receive food enough. The thief was told that, that thou wilt be with me in paradise just a few hours before he died. Some prophecies take minutes to be performed. Remember, Moses just spoke a few minutes before the ground opened and swallowed Dathan and Abiram. Moses said to the people that the rock would, be, would come from, that the water would come from the rock, Exodus 17, when he smote it. Samuel told the people that all that day they would hear thunderings and see lightning because they had rejected the Lord as their, as their king. Some prophecies take seconds to be fulfilled. Acts 16, perhaps, when Paul said to the Philippian jailer, don't kill yourself, when he came out, remember, and fell down and called for a light and said, what must I do to be saved? And Paul said, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and thou shalt be saved. And how, how long did it take? Just a few minutes or a few seconds? This prophecy was fulfilled very shortly. Perhaps as Gabriel speaks, Mary conceives the Messiah. That's just an amazing thought. And I believe that it can be proved. Three thoughts about the virgin conception of the Lord Jesus. It's preceded by an angelic visitation it's the privilege of a lowly servant of the Lord who is saved by grace and is performed by the virtual power of God himself. The virgin conception of Jesus was preceded by angelic visitation. Not just an angel, but I believe that Gabriel was an archangel. There are only three, three angels, I think, that are named in the Bible. There's Gabriel, which means mighty God, God is strong. Gibor is, is a word that means strong and mighty. And Gibril, it means, El, as you know, at the end of the name is, is God. 
God is strong. God is, is mighty. Michael, who is like God. Both of those, we believe, were arch or chief angels. And then Lucifer is the, might, is the, is the shining one when he was sinless. And he, of course, fell into sin. Luke is the gospel of angels. We might even say Luke is, is, is uh, other than the book of Revelation, has the most references to angels than any other book in the New Testament or in the Bible. 26 times angels are referenced in Luke. 21 times, if you count Acts, which also is a, a, a book that's authored by Luke, so 47 times. In Luke and Acts, you have references to angels. Angels are at the birth of Jesus. Angels are in the temptation of Jesus, at the the arrest and the the, uh, death of Jesus, the resurrection of Jesus, and here at the conception of the Lord Jesus. Again, it's Gabriel that's sent. He's found in Daniel 8.16 and Daniel 9.21. So you go from Gabriel predicting the coming of Messiah the Prince to, to Daniel to now prophesying that this Messiah would be Jesus, the Son of God, and he prophesies it to Mary. How people would think, what a dichotomy from Daniel to Mary. But again, what a blessing. So he's only sent to two saints as recorded in the Bible. And one is obviously a a very notable prophet called Daniel. And one is to an anonymous, now famous, lowly servant of the Lord named Mary. Mary didn't have a very... Glamorous name. Daniel means uh, my God is judge. God is judge. Mary is the, is the name bitter. Actually, the Greek name for Mary is Miriam, like Moses' sister. But so important is the announcement of the conception of the Messiah that an archangel is sent to give this report. He was terrible in appearance. No wonder Mary feared and was troubled or trembling. The virgin conception is news that's reserved for archangels, isn't it? What a privilege. I suppose any angel would have just loved to be able to have been sent with this, with this privileged task. Can you imagine the angels that were sent at Jesus' birth to be a choir for the shepherds to hear sing? How many angels are there? And can you imagine the Lord saying, how many of you would like, I suppose they all have melodious voices. They're angels. Can you imagine if the Lord said, how many of you would like to go and be part of the choir? Oh, you know, remember in school how we used to raise our hand when the teacher wanted us to answer a question or to take the chalk uh, and write something on the board. 
Not so much if, if uh, you know, we were in trouble. The Bible tells us in Psalm 102 that angels excel us in strength. Where it would take many men to roll the stone upon the door when Jesus was buried. It took just one angel to roll it away and he sat on it as if he was saying, look what I did. (laughs) Perhaps this is the greatest miracle ever recorded, ever performed by the Lord. The conception of the God-man. The fulfillment of that first prophecy in Genesis 3.15. And the Lord signals that by the presence of an archangel. He had just appeared to Zacharias six months before in this capital city of Jerusalem. But now he's he's willing to go to a small town. They call it a city, but there's no Greek word for town. Nazareth was probably something similar to Boston or to... uh, Um, maybe it was even smaller than Springville, but a very small, nestled-in town where Mary lived. Now, we don't know if Mary and Joseph happened to be neighbors or happened to, to know each other or maybe just happened to live in the same town. Some indicate that since Mary was betrothed, and, and betrothed is similar to engagement, but much, much deeper and much more binding because it says that Joseph would have to divorce Mary and he'd have to put her away with the language of divorce if if he didn't marry her. So betrothal was a lot more binding and, and difficult to break than engagement today. But perhaps she was living in Nazareth because some others indicate that when they were betrothed they would live with a neighbor or a friend apart from the uh, future husband. But we don't know that for sure. But here is Gabriel going to Nazareth and willing to take God's message. And they wait for God's message. Remember what Psalm 102 says. um, Blessed are the angels who... Let me read this before I... it's, It's a wonderful text about the obedience then the patience of angels who wait for the word of the Lord. It says in Psalm 103 that blessed, bless the Lord ye his angels that excel in strength, that do his commandments, hearkening unto the voice of his word. They wait for his word. They don't rush ahead. They don't lag behind. They're always ready to do the will of God, whatever it might be. It might be that some of them just all day long say, holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. It might be that one of them has the dubious responsibility to watch over me. We have perhaps guardian angels as we assume from from Acts chapter 12. And as you and I know, for an angel to guard over us, we have to say uh, we, we, we can be high maintenance, can't we? if we aren't driving very safely or we're going into a situation that is dangerous. And I wonder one day if, if our guardian angel is going to say to us, you made my job a lot harder than it should have been. 
But here we see that angels are ready to listen to God. They're hearkening to the voice of his word. And Gabriel is given this task. What a privilege. The prophecy of the virgin conception and the virgin birth in Isaiah. And now this is technically a prophecy because Mary is not yet expecting. And yet it's within, we believe, minutes, if not seconds, that Mary conceives. So this is such an important part of our salvation and the will of God that the prophecy of the virgin conception of Jesus Christ is given, preceded by the prophecy of an archangel. That signals how important this is. Archangels do important things. How important it is, how critical for our salvation for God to become man. We cannot be saved unless God became man. Secondly, the privilege of a lowly servant saved by grace. The privilege of a lowly servant saved by grace. If if people were asked the question for all those years before, who do you think is going to be the mother of the Messiah? What would the answer have been? People might have said, well, It's got to be a queen. It's got to be somebody famous. It's got to be someone wealthy. It's got to be someone from a prominent family. It's got to be her or this kind of person. Would anyone have guessed it was probably a young teenager, Mary, called Miriam? And even the name, what will her name be? Certainly something that is, is splendid, like, Esther the star or some other name that that seems to signify something glamorous. But a woman named Bitter? Yes, she's going to have a bitter experience. Like Simeon said, when you see your son, and what's happening, he's saying is when you see your son crucified, it's going to be like someone shot a spear through your side. How would you react if you saw your son crucified alive? Wouldn't your heart be broken? Wouldn't your heart bleed, as it were, to death? Mary loved Jesus. Somehow people have this idea that once she found out that Jesus was God and that Jesus was her Messiah, she lost all motherly feelings. No, she didn't. Simeon prophesied that she didn't lose, she wouldn't lose her motherly feelings. Oh, she had distinct feelings. One, he's he's more than my son. He's my God. He's my Savior. But then I bore him for nine months. She has my DNA. She he probably looked. You could, you could say, I see your mother in your face. I don't see your father in your face. It was only a coincidence if they might have said that. But they would have no doubt said, you're a spitting image of your mom. So she still had those kind of feelings. And of course, we know things are going to be different in, in heaven 
we'll recognize each other. You know, people have asked, you think we'll know each other in heaven? And I like the answer. You think we'll be, uh, I think the word he used, you think we'll be stupider in heaven than we are on earth? Of course we'll know who our spouses were, our children, our friends. We'll know everybody. How will we know everybody? Because we'll shake hands and introduce each other. We're not going to be omniscient. How did Peter know? So people say, well, Peter knew Elijah and Enoch were, uh, sorry, Elijah and Moses were on the Mount of Transfiguration. How did he know? He never met them. There's one simple answer to that. Hello, my name is Moses. Well, my name is Peter. They've got to introduce each other. Jesus may have simply introduced them. Won't it be a wonderful time? It'll take a while for us to be introduced to each other. I don't think it's going to be, and I know I'm going on a rabbit trail, I don't think it's just going to be the Lord's just going to put the knowledge in every one of our brains about who everybody is. I think it's, it's, the, it's the special nature of everything that we meet each other and we get to know each other. What, what, what century did you live in? What country did you live in? Just how did you get saved? Were you alive during the Roman Empire? Just that'll be a wonderful experience, one just to get to know everybody in glory. But it was Mary, Miriam. The Bible talks about the desire of women in one place, Daniel eleven thirty seven. And some indicate that that's, it's an expression that every woman desired to be the, the mother of the Messiah. Every woman was wondering, will it be me? That is, a Jewish woman who is a believer. Now, it may not be referring to the desire of women being Christ himself. The context is that the, the Antichrist, he will not regard his own religion. And many believe that's a text, that's a passage that indicates the the Antichrist has to be a Jew. And it says he will not regard the desire of women. And some will say, well, what's the desire of women? Just just a, a desire to be married or whatever. And he just has no, he has no couth. He has no respect for marriage, for law, for, you know, relationships. He's just running ruthless over the people, just like the Hamas is running, how they treated people in the kibbutzes, kibbutzes in southern Israel, and how they treat the Palestinians in Gaza as human shields, storing their weapons and ammunition in hospitals. But if it's referring to the desire of women to be the mother of the Messiah, it's obvious it's saying that the Antichrist has no regard for Christ. He has no regard for Christ because he's Antichrist. He's against Christ. He's contrary to Christ. But even if this isn't a text that speaks of a woman's desire to be the mother of the Messiah, it's true. I wonder if it was a conversation Many times, in many places, by Jewish Jewish women who are, uh, if they if they 
understood and believed Isaiah 7, 7, 14, they would be speaking before they got married. You think it'll be me? You think, you think it'll be you? Who do you think is going to be the woman? I'm sure that there were all kinds of conjectures. And Mary would be the last one to think that it was going to be her. And isn't that of the Lord? He chooses the last person that would think that it would be her. That's of the Lord. He resists the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. And notice how Mary is last in the, in the, in the, in the sentence where it says that Gabriel, back to Luke chapter 1, look at how it's put here. In the sixth month, Gabriel was sent from God unto, notice how many names are given before Mary's name. City of Galilee, unto a city of Galilee, the region of Galilee, named Nazareth, to a virgin espoused to a man whose name was Joseph, of the house of David, and finally gives her name. It's like, who is she? It doesn't say, in the, in the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God to Mary. Everyone wants to know, who is it? Have you ever seen nesting dolls? Our grandchildren love the nesting dolls. You know, you, it's, it's a big doll and you, and you, and you, and you, and you uh, turn it and then there's a smaller one inside. You got to turn it. Come on, I want to get to the core. You got to keep turning and turning and turning and finally get to the core. Well, at the top, you're turning and you're turning and you see, okay, I don't want to know about Galilee. I don't want to know about Nazareth. So you turn the third time and you have Joseph. okay. Uh, that's important. David, okay, she's definitely going to be from Judah. But who is this virgin? Who is this woman that's been wanting to be? And you get to the small thing, and, the, and it says Mary. Mary, are you kidding me? It's not a queen. It's not some sensational name. It's some lowly handmaid. A sinner saved by grace. How dare Rome say that Mary is a is a mediatrix, or that she's a Madonna. She was a sinner saved by grace. Mary was born again. Mary was a born again Christian. Well, she may not have called herself yet, that yet because Jesus uses the expression later, but similar terminology is in the Old Testament. God gives us new hearts in in. Uh, Ezekiel chapters, uh, what, 36 and 37. Now this is the, we call this a suspenseful, like we call it a, a uh, trying to bring the word out, it, 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 gains, it gathers suspense before you get the name. And this is a positive way of saying it, but you know, Luke loves this kind of, way to write. He's a great writer and historian. Look what he does in chapter, there's another nesting doll in chapter 3 in verse 1. Who is the word of the Lord going to come to to preach the gospel and to be a forerunner of Christ? In the 15th year, is it going to be Caesar? Nope. Screw the next one. Is it Pilate? Pilate's famous. Nope. Unscrew that one. How about Philip, the Tetrarch, or I'm sorry, Herod, the Tetrarch of Galilee? Nope. Screw another one. 
How about Philip? Nope, unscrew that too. How about the, it's got to be one of the high priests. Are you kidding me? Annas and Caiaphas, the high priest? Nope. What's, what's the, little, the little piece at the bottom of the nesting doll? It's John, lowly John. He, he eats locusts and wild honey and dresses funnily. You see the Lord? And you see how these, these writers are so skillful. And it's their way of slapping. This is a negative way, of course, the suspense. You know, who cares about Herod? Who cares about Pilate? They were wicked people. Annas and Caiaphas. It's John the Baptist that the Lord... Lowly people get the word of God. Or the, Lord, the word of God makes you a lowly person. This woman was already lowly. She was saved. It's just like, it's kind of exactly the, the parallel of holy men of God spake as they were moved by the Holy Spirit. We can, we can conclude that every gospel writer was a Christian. From Moses to John, from Genesis to Revelation, people say, what about Solomon? He didn't end very well. Solomon was a believer. He was a holy man of God that spoke in Proverbs and Ecclesiastes and the Song of Solomon, he spoke as he was moved by the Holy Spirit. But may I say here that God would never have chosen an unbeliever, the mother of the Messiah. Mary was a born-again believer. He would never have chosen somebody that was a Madonna, someone that was that supposedly was sinless. There's not a sinless conception that ever took place except the Lord Jesus Christ. There was a sinless creation of Adam and Eve. There was never a sinful, a sinless conception or birth other than the Lord Jesus Christ or ever will be. Mary was a sinner. She was conceived in sin. She was born in sin. She lived in sin. She got saved from her sin. And she was still sinning. And we see some of that in her folly of, of, of not believing that Christ was sane. In that one instance where they all said, he's beside himself. Let's get him away from the crowd. He's fomenting uh, trouble. But what a privilege. What a privilege. She was a sinner saved by grace, but for all eternity, you and I in heaven are going to say, there she is. Not in, a, not in an idolatrous way, but we're going to meet her and say, God used you of the millions of people that ever were born and lived or ever are in heaven forever. You'll always be known as the one God chose. And what will her answer be? Don't bring attention to me. It's all about Jesus. I wouldn't be here except for Jesus. Amen. Think of the most unassuming, humble, unselfish, forgiven sinner to bear the Messiah. It's Mary. It's Mary. Rejoice, he says. You know, Rome twists Scripture 
here in Luke chapter 1. Gabriel speaks to Mary and he says to her, Hail thou that art highly favored. They start a prayer to Mary in those words. Hail Mary, full of grace. You take highly favored and hail and make it a prayer. Hail is just the word a greeting. It's a greeting. It, it is a command. Rejoice. Rejoice, Mary. Rejoice. It's used in many greetings in the New Testament. Like James chapter 1, greeting. James says greeting to the 12 tribes he's writing to. The word is simply rejoice. And it says, thou that are highly favored. That same expression is used one more time in the Bible. Thou that are highly favored. It's Ephesians 1 verse 6. And it's used of believers. Ephesians 1 verse 6 says, To the praise of the glory of his grace, wherein he hath made us accepted in the beloved. Made us accepted. We have been highly favored in Christ by being chosen before the foundation of the world. Mary was highly favored. He was, in other words, the word is, you've been given great grace. And so have we in being saved. It's the grace of God that Mary was saved and that Mary was chosen. It's a gift. It's not anything that she earned, anything that she merited. Rejoice, thou hast been highly favored. The word highly favored is a tense that says it, it's determined in the past and it continues into the future. God had Mary in mind in Genesis 3.15 before that. And now she was, she'll always be the one that was favored with being the mother of the Messiah. This is not a prayer. This is a salutation and a fact that she has been given grace by the Lord. Blessed art thou among women. Again, that is, is Rome will take this and say she is exalted above women. It's a benediction, or it's a, it's a beatitude. Blessed art thou among women. Notice it says among women. It doesn't, see, it doesn't even say above women. The word is among women. Among, you're, you're like any other Christian woman. God just chose you to be the Messiah. And all of us are in the same boat. We're sinners saved by grace. Amen. We're sinners among sinners. We're saints among saints. We're not above any saint. None of us are above each other. It's Jesus that's above us. It's not Mary. It's not Isaiah. It's not Paul. What did Paul say? He said, I'm the chiefest of sinners. And yet, I don't think there's anyone that would ever say that Paul was the, wasn't the greatest missionary that ever lived outside of Jesus. What a privilege. Mary, if she was here, she would sing with us. Only a sinner saved by grace. This is my story. To God be the glory. I'm only a sinner saved by grace. She would bear the holy child. And isn't it a fulfillment? Be ye holy, ye that bear the vessels of the Lord. 
Holy Spirit overshadowed her. That's why her son would be called the Holy Son of God. It's the Holy Spirit that secured the sinlessness of the conception, not Mary's. People have said, well, now Mary had a perpetual virginity. There's no indication of that. That would have been a mockery of Joseph being betrothed to Joseph. The Bible says that he had, that she had other sons and daughters. Rome imagines these myths, legends. And to think of the fact of this, of Mary having faith in the Lord. She was a bright young woman. She was converted to the Lord. Think of the implications. If this was brought to you, you're going to bear a Messiah, but you're going to bear a human being without a, without a father, without a husband. Think of the things that would flood into her mind at that point. I'm going to face persecution like I've never faced before. What would go on once they saw the, the evidence of her pregnancy. We know what went on in Joseph's mind. He wanted to put her away privately. I mean, he was kind. He wasn't going to do it publicly. It should have been public if it was immorality. And you wonder, look at verse 56. You got to read between the lines, don't you? Mary stays three months with Elizabeth. She needs time to sort things out and have God increase her faith. Because she wouldn't have probably been showing until at least three months, but she, stood, she stayed there to receive the comfort and the strengthening of Zacharias and Elizabeth. And what a comfort, though, that the angel said, this is the sixth month of your cousin Elizabeth, who was barren. And isn't it amazing? The Lord takes the bookends of, of impossibility. He causes a woman who can't bear any children to bear a son, and a woman who can't bear any children as a virgin. And he takes the spectrum from old to young. Many believe Mary was about 15, if that. She needed the three months to be strengthened in her faith to prepare for the onslaught of all kinds of slander and all kinds of gossip. Joseph, who's the father? Mary, who, who's, who's, really who's going to really be the father? And you wonder how much persecution Jesus got. Was Jesus called an illegitimate son? It seems that the Pharisees may have indicated that. We aren't born of fornication. Wow, amazing how the Lord would put such faith in such a young Christian. What a privilege. Forever recognizes blessed among women, not deified, among women, not above women, and finally performed by the power of God.
Behold, verse 31, it's a wonder. Thou shalt conceive in thy womb. You will call his name Jesus. You think of the, the two individuals that were called Jesus in the Old Testament. Joshua is the name Jesus in the Old Testament and Jeshua, the high priest. One of them led the people into the promised land. One led the people out of captivity. Jeshua, the high priest. What bookends? Jesus, Jesus leads us in, out of captivity. Jeshua, the book of Zechariah. And he leads us into the promised land. Joshua. The greater Jesus is the one who doesn't point to Jehovah to save sinners like Joshua and Jeshua did. What does it say? Thou will call his name Jesus, not because he points to Jehovah who will save sinners. No, he will save sinners. He will save his people from their sins. He bears the name because he bears the nature of Jehovah. Tell that to Jehovah Witnesses. Jesus is Jehovah who saves his people from their sins. His reign will be forever. Verse 33, like 2 Samuel says, an eternal reign, there shall be no end. How is it that Mary wasn't struck with dumbness like Zacharias? What's the difference? Zechariah, you're, you're going to be a father in your old age, and so your wife is going to bear. You're not going to get a young wife. No, your, your wife, Elizabeth, who is beyond her childbearing age, she's going to bear the child. And what is Zacharias' answer? Whereby shall I know this? For I am an old man and my wife well stricken in years. How do you like that? A man calls his wife an old lady. But he was an old man. What's the difference between verse 18 and verse number 34? How shall this be, seeing I know not a man? Why wasn't she struck with being unable to speak? What's the difference? God knows. His was an unbelieving question. Hers was a simple, naive question. How is this going to happen? She confesses, I have not been immoral. I, I've not, I'm not married. Would you, you just want an explanation? His was unbelief. It can't happen. It wasn't that she said, it can't happen. She's saying, how? He didn't say how. He said, whereby. There is a difference. And so hers was a simple, naive question to the, to the angel. And he gives her a straightforward but mysterious answer. The Holy Spirit is going to overshadow you and the Most High is going to cause it to happen. Therefore, he will be called the Son of God. This is, this is the way the Son of God is going to become man. But it's, it's, it can only happen by the power of God, the Father, the Son, and the Spirit. You will conceive. Your seed will be the fulfillment of Genesis 
The Bible says he'll be called. The word called is not just, this is going to be his name on paper, but the word called has he'll be appealed to as the Son of God. He will have the character of the Son of God. And she had the precedent, which helped too. By the way, Mary, a miracle has already been performed. You're, and apparently she didn't know about it. Can you imagine not knowing that your cousin's been pregnant for six months? He, they didn't have the, the U.S. Postal Service. They didn't have cell phones and, and email. So apparently she had no clue. By the way, Mary, there's a precedent set. Can you imagine the thrill in her soul? Are you really, is this true that Elizabeth, after all these years, she's been so sad. It was, she, it was been a reproach to her all her life. She's having a baby. Well, if Elizabeth can have a baby, God can do a similar kind of miracle and you'll have a baby. You see, there weren't any maternity warrants in nursing homes. She knew that. And Elizabeth, will, who was called barren, now will be called a mother who bore a child in her old age. The blessed impossibility of God. And look at her response finally is. As she's explained how this miracle is going to take place. The angel says, remember the words of Jesus? Well, Jesus will speak these words later. And the Lord spoke these words to Abraham when he said Sarah would be have a child. With God, nothing's impossible. That's in Genesis. I wonder if Mary, if she caught that as a woman who listened to Genesis in the synagogues. With God, nothing shall be impossible. Even though the angel didn't say this, I wonder if her thought, wait a minute, that's what God said to Abraham. That Sarah would have Isaac. And what does Mary say? Behold, the handmaid of the Lord, be it unto me according to thy word. And the same word for word is in 37. With God, no word shall be impossible. The word thing in verse 37 is the same word for the word Word in verse 38. You've ever heard the word rhema? Rhema is a, a Greek word that speaks of a single thought in the Bible, where the word lagos speaks of the whole message. Rhema speaks of a certain uh, short message. It's a, like the difference between lagos would be a sword, a long sword, rhema would be a dagger. And so what the Lord's saying here is, my word very short word, you will have a baby. Nothing, no word like that, no word that God speaks, however impossible it seems, is impossible with God. And Mary, with all those thoughts flowing through her mind, she's willing to take the hit. She's willing to, uh, to go through this, 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 this trial of faith but this blessed experience of bearing the Messiah. But in God's grace, she needed those months to strengthen her heart, to get ready to go back to Nazareth and to face Joseph and to face her family and to face the world. 
that she was the chosen mother of the Messiah. And I do believe that the fulfillment was immediate, that Mary left expecting that scene in Nazareth as she went south to visit Elizabeth. It's the simple words in chapter 1, verse 38, and the angel departed from her. It's easy to miss that. The angel comes to bear this news and he departs and the news is fulfilled. It's not until after the fulfillment, after the spirit is placed, the the child Jesus in Mary's womb that, that Mary leaves. And remember, Elizabeth's reaction to Mary's salutation is, blessed art thou among women, but notice what else Elizabeth says. Blessed are, is the fruit of thy womb, not the, pre, the future fruit. Elizabeth is communicated by the Lord before Mary communicates to her that Mary's expecting. You see that in verses 38 and 41. Blessed is the fruit of the fruit that's already present. In thy womb. She says in verse 40, 43, the mother of my Lord has visited me. She's already calling Mary a mother. Now there's a technicality there we can't miss. There are people that say that Mary is the mother of God. Be careful. Technically it's true. She's not the mother of God's nature. Jesus is God. So it's technically true to call her the mother of God, but dare not say that that is indicative of her deity or of any blasphemous title. Rome makes it a blasphemous title. Elizabeth calls her the mother of my Lord. Lord is deity. So Elizabeth calls her mother of Lord. And so... She is indeed the one who bears the Messiah who is God and man. Verse 45, blessed is she that believed. She's saying, Mary, your faith is greater than mine. You're going to be persecuted for what you have experienced. I will receive no persecution for bearing a child in an old age. Mary was a sinner saved by grace. Jesus was the Savior of Mary, the sinner, saved by grace. Mary was converted by the Son of God, though she conceived Jesus, who is the Son of God. Hail Mary is not a prayer. It's a command for her to rejoice. It's a a salutation. Rejoice is used, remember, in Matthew. Hail Master, when Judas... He was hypocritically saying, Rejoice, Master, yet rejoice when you're going to betray me. Hail, King of the Jews. Again, it's hypocritical. Rejoice, King of the Jews. Rejoice, and he's crucified. 2 Corinthians uses it in chapter 13, verse 11. Farewell. It's It's a salutation or a benediction. John warns us that we're not to say hail to those who deny the deity of Christ. In 2 John verses 10 and 11, don't 
give God speed. The word God speed is the exact same word. Don't say hail or rejoice to people who ever come to your house bringing another doctrine, another gospel. Don't even, don't salute them. Warn them to repent or they'll perish. The Immaculate Conception, the Virgin Conception of the Lord Jesus Christ. What a miracle. It's real. It's historical. It's gospel. It's saving in nature. Amen. Lord Jesus, thank you for this miracle. And how timely, Lord, as we think about the advent of you, your your coming to earth, taking flesh. Oh Lord, we thank thee for your immaculate conception. Thank you for choosing Mary. And the, the lesson that we need to be humble, you'll give privileges to those who are humble, unassuming, and unselfish. Help us, Lord, to, to be able to say from our hearts, like John, you must increase, we must decrease. And how we have such good examples in John the Baptist and Mary and even of Elizabeth of those who are humble and thankful, therefore useful in the eyes of the Lord. Lord, make us useful. Please don't cast us aside. Forgive our pride. Help us, Lord, to be available, to be like the angels waiting on your word and seeking to do your will. Pray your blessing this week. May we take these truths with us to glorify your name, to point people to Jesus, the Son of God and the Savior of the world. In Jesus' name, amen. Would you please turn with me to hymn number 132 from our black hymnals, Worthy of Worship. 